Welcome again to Covenant Presbyterian Church. A special welcome to those of you who are participating uh, by uh, live stream. Uh, good morning to you as well. We return to Mark. We return to Mark chapter 6. Uh, let me uh, just remind you real quickly, though, that next Sunday is Palm Sunday. Uh, you know that as Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, there were cries uh, from the crowd of Hosanna, Hosanna. And so next Sunday, I'd like to look at where those cries come from. That's Psalm 118. So we'll be uh, there for Palm Sunday next week. So we're going to step back from Mark for a couple of Sundays and rejoin uh, after Easter. We left uh, Mark in kind of a funny place, uh, waiting to hear about uh, how the uh, ministry of the disciples, remember Jesus sent them two by two to preach, and we still haven't yet heard a report of how that went. The last time we were in Mark's gospel, uh, Mark paused us by telling us a little bit about John the Baptist, about uh, his uh, death, and he's returned to where he left off. Uh, what about that uh, mission of preaching? Well, that's where we pick up this morning. And little theologians, I would like for you to draw a picture of clueless sheep. In a sense, uh, sheep are always clueless, uh, aimless. Uh, they need to be guided to food and to water, need to be protected. But I want you to draw really clueless sheep. I mean, what sheep knows how to drive a car or fly an airplane? Why don't you draw that? Really clueless sheep. Because Jesus, he comes for clueless sheep. Clueless sheep like us. So we'll be looking this morning in Mark chapter 6. Uh, we'll pick up in verse 30, and we'll do that right after we pray. So join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for speaking to us. Would you use my lips and would you use my preparation to draw forth the significance of Jesus and just Jesus? May everything else fall by the wayside as in your grace, by your spirit, I seek to preach your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 6, uh, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. 
And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And he took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. This is the word of our Lord. Well, you hear it, it's a miracle passage, right? In fact, a familiar passage, the feeding of the 5,000. It would be a similar one when Jesus feeds the 4,000. But even as you look at this as a familiar passage, one that you know, you need to sense that there is a bit of unexpectedness in this passage. And we arrive at this passage uh, expecting to hear more about the preaching ministry. We want to hear that report. Now, way back in the beginning of Mark chapter 6 and verse 7, Jesus, he calls the twelve and he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And we're never actually given a report of what happened. And then here in verse 30, the apostles returned, and they told Jesus all that they'd done and taught. And we wonder if Mark's going to share that news with us. All that they'd done and all that they taught. And there's a little bit of mystery associated with that mission. You'll recall Jesus says, in some homes you'll stay, but in some homes you'll actually shake the dust from your feet. And we wonder then if Jesus is going to uh, give us more of this report. I'm sorry, if Mark, rather, will give us more of that report of what that mission was like. And we get a little bit of a hint that perhaps we will, because they begin to search for rest. And Jesus, he's in charge of, of every second of the scene. He knows exactly what he's doing. And when Jesus gathers the disciples together and they begin to search for rest, at least in my mind, I'm, I'm expecting to hear a little bit more about this preaching ministry. Oh, it's time to step back from ministry and go to a desolate place for rest. But again, Jesus is in charge of every second of the scene, and no one is going to rest surrounded by 5,000 people. In fact, it's probably well more than 5,000 people. But here Jesus is, in charge of every minute of this scene. We're expecting one thing, and indeed the disciples are expecting one thing, rest. And then the reader and the disciples get something very different, but Jesus, he's always in charge. Uh, Jesus, he's the first one to disembark from the, from the boat and to go out into the crowds. Uh, Jesus, he teaches the crowds. Uh, Jesus, he gives his disciples specific instructions about the feeding of the crowds, and, and he even commands the crowds with regards to how they'll be fed. Jesus is in charge of every scene, and yet it's not the scene that we expected not even the scene that the disciples expected. They're looking for rest. Well, Jesus, he's up to something, isn't he? There's a report to be given. 
There's a desire for rest. But Jesus, he has something else up his sleeve. He's going to show them something. The disciples become this mini audience to the surprising things that Jesus will do. And Jesus is going to show them something, something significant. And here's what he's going to show them. He's going to show them that he is sufficient to save and he alone is sufficient to save. And he's going to show them also that they are not sufficient to save others. The theme of this passage is this, is that uh, Jesus is more than sufficient to care for the aimless. More than sufficient. But it's the insufficient disciple who is best able to tell the aimless about Jesus. Jesus, he's more than sufficient to save. But if you want to know the truth, it's really the disciple who knows that he or she is insufficient who's best able to tell the aimless crowd about Jesus. They look for rest, but they witness their own insufficiency, and they witness the sufficiency of Jesus. Well, they are really looking for rest. I mean, just these first couple of verses, verses 30 30 through 32, Mark has packaged the gospel in such a way that it really seems as though there have been a tumultuous couple of weeks or couple of months just before Mark 6, verse 30. The disciples have been sent out with authority to heal and to cast out demons. Not only that, the disciples were given permission to judge, to shake the dust from their feet. And Herod, he's been hearing about these things, Marcus told us. He's uh, heard about uh, John the Baptist, of course. He's heard about Jesus. And he's uh, heard, it seems, about the sending out ministry of the apostles. And And Herod is disturbed. And this identity of Jesus is actually being uh, gossiped about. The imprisonment of John, uh, it was brutal, but the murder of John was even more uh, brutal, buried without his head. And Jesus and the disciples, uh, even they, hear about this news about John the Baptist. And this news spreads, news of Jesus, but also news of what Herod is doing. And in John's gospel, there's actually a desire among the crowd to forcibly determine the identity of Jesus as king and to forcibly crown him as king. So much is happening right now. And the 12 return to report. Mark says the apostles returned to Jesus after their mission and told him all that they'd done and taught. The reference to the uh, word apostles is very much about that mission. They are messengers. They are named apostles because they are to be sent out to preach. We learn that all the way back in Mark chapter 3. And indeed, Jesus in Mark chapter 6 sends them out to preach. These are messengers. And Jesus knows that they need rest. It would seem as though Jesus is aware that they are tired. And so he says in verse 31, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. And the word for desolate place ought to have given uh, some uh, cue to the disciples that something unexpected was about to happen. A desolate place is the word for wilderness. Who goes into the wilderness to rest? Well, Jesus is going to take his disciples there and Perhaps they simply assume that if Jesus suggests it, 
And if Jesus accompanies us, we'll be safe even in the wilderness. And it's a wilderness that you can only reach by boat. They seem to be uh, going uh, up and down the coastline uh, looking for solitude. Many of them are fishermen. They fish these waters. They know this coastline. They know where to go to find a desolate place. And even still, their efforts are denied. They try to find a clear shore, but they couldn't. And many uh, see them, they uh, recognize them, or they recognize the boat. They, they know who they're chasing, and so they run to where the boat, they think, is going to hit shore. But even as they're running, they seem to have told others. Mark tells us that complete towns got there ahead of the disciples. And from the boat, imagine that scene, from the boat, what do the disciples see? Ordinarily, this is a very desolate place, they know, but not today. Thousands upon thousands of people are right there in that little hole of the coastline that they thought was surely desolate. And the hope for rest, well, it vanishes, doesn't it? But maybe not. In this scene, what is about to unfold, the disciples are resting while Jesus is working. He's setting the stage for them. And so initially the disciples then are looking for rest, but then as Mark tells the story beginning in verse 34 all all the way through 37, these disciples, they begin to witness something, and they witness something about themselves. They witness their own insufficiency, their own lack They're missing something. And it's not simply about hoping for rest and not getting it. There's something else that they learn about themselves that they might see that they are insufficient in light of who Jesus is. Because in verse 34, Jesus, he goes ashore. He saw this great crowd. But the way Mark says that he goes ashore, Jesus, he he actually uh, disembarks to the coastline. He engages the work. And everything about verse 34 seems to indicate that Jesus is more than willing to do this. And the disciples, well, we're not told the disciples ever disembark the boat, but presumably they did. They're on the coastline. But Mark's specific. Jesus, he disembarks the boat. Why do you think he is so excited, it seems, to do that, at least energized to do that? Mark tells us, compassion. He had compassion on them. And the word for compassion is a kind of disembarking. Jesus, with his feet, he disembarks the boat. He goes right into the center of that unexpected crowd, unexpected from the perspective of the disciples. But his heart disembarked from his very chest in pity and compassion. Why would he do that? He himself was leading the disciples to rest, and here this crowd is, and this crowd, uh, they seem to be like these uh, parasites. They're looking for Jesus, presumably they want something from him, and they're uh, gathering around him, giving him no peace at all. Why does he have compassion on them? Because he sees that they were like sheep without a shepherd. How many people in the crowds felt that they were sheep without a shepherd? I'm sure there were a few, but I doubt the majority. 
That Christianity sizes us up in ways that we actually don't size ourselves up. I know things about what I'm missing. Could use a little bit more money. Maybe I'm missing health, missing happiness or friendships. I know my needs. But Jesus, he sees our needs in a slightly different way. Perhaps you say a dramatically different way. He sees me as a sheep without a shepherd. And everyone in the original audience would know that a sheep without a shepherd dies. No animal is more dependent than a sheep, says one commentator. Jesus knows that a sheep without a shepherd will die. And this is what Christianity says about all of humanity. I think that my needs I can corral over here and I can work on them over my life. And Jesus says, you'll never make it. Without me, you die. Well, why compassion? Well, because he sees them as a sheep without a, sh- as a, sh- a, sheep without a shepherd, and he knows that if they don't have a shepherd, they don't have what it takes to live. And so he's filled with compassion, and Jesus, he comes to them, and not only that, he instructs them. He began to teach them many things. Those of you who are curious might ask what it is that Jesus is teaching. I think the best way to determine that is to look for other scriptures. And if you go backwards at the teaching ministry of Jesus up to this point, we don't have to go terribly far. We see Jesus' ministry in Nazareth at the very beginning of Mark chapter 6. And there he is preaching that he is the fulfillment of the Father's promise to save. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news, liberty, God's favor. In Luke's gospel, Luke says that what Jesus is teaching them is he's teaching them about the kingdom of God, that this Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus is saying, that is me. I'm the fulfillment of all of God's promises in the Old Testament. And that's what Jesus is teaching about. Me, me, me. I'm the fulfillment. So Jesus, he's working, isn't he? Out of the boat, his heart breaks open, and he's shepherding them by, he, by teaching them. And by the way, let me ask, what are the disciples doing right now? Little theologians, do you know the answer to this? What are the disciples doing right now? What's Mark told us? The disciples are doing nothing. Do you think the disciples are resting? Here's a kind of rest, isn't it? Jesus is the worker, not the disciples. And in fact, the disciples in verse 35, they they actually seem to interrupt the compassion that Jesus has. It grew late. The hour is now late. Verse uh, 35, it seems to be just about time. And it seems as though the disciples have been watching their watches or watching the sun. But it's not just a time problem. It's a desolate place problem. And it's a food problem problem. And the disciples who have been doing nothing up to verse 36, they do something there, don't they? They actually command Jesus. Think about that. They command the one who is working as a shepherd, drawing the sheep in, caring for the sheep. And in verse 36, they say, send them away. That's a command word in the Greek. Send them away so they can go into the villages and they can buy food. How would you respond if you were Jesus? He's working. They're resting. And sheep are being saved. 
The very strangest phrase in the passage, I think, is in verse 37. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Now, of course, they argue, don't they? Their immediate response is, uh, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread? That's about uh, almost a a year's salary. Are we to spend all that money to get bread? You know, obviously, they're being sarcastic. We're not seeing very great things about the heart of the disciples. Jesus is compassionate, and their response is cold. But that question, or that command rather, give them something to eat. Do you think that that's absurd? I want to spend a little bit of time here and and just think about this. I think this would be a good discussion to have uh, this afternoon. You give them something to eat. How are they supposed to respond to that? Is Jesus even offering a serious command? And if I take you to the very end of John's gospel, John chapter 1, 21, there's a scene there that I think helps us to answer this question. Uh, Jesus, he visits uh, seven of the disciples. This is Jesus in his, in his glorified body. This is after his resurrection. And the disciples are fishing, and Jesus, he appears on a beach, and he tells them to cast the nets to the right side, and the nets bulge, or some 153 uh, fish. And they know who it is. They know that it's Jesus. John tells us this is the third time Jesus has shown himself to them. And they put some of the catch on a fire as they come to the shore. Jesus prepared the fire. And Jesus, he serves them bread and he serves them fish for breakfast. And then right after that, you remember this scene, don't you? Jesus, he takes Peter aside and Jesus asks him, do you love me? Is the scene coming back to you? What does Peter say? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And this, and this uh, interchange, it happens three times. Jesus is asking, do you love me? But you remember what Jesus always says to Peter. He says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. That's what Jesus says to him. If you love me, do these things. And when we read that passage in John chapter 21, there's no explanation that, that is needed. We read that passage and we never think those commands are absurd. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. We never think those aren't absurd commands. We understand, even though there's not a single sheep present like there is in this scene. Jesus is telling Peter to care for his sheep as his own servant. These sheep belong to Jesus. And Jesus, he is commanding Peter to care for them. It would have been completely inappropriate for Peter to say, I don't have enough money, Jesus. None of us, none of us expect Peter to say that. He gets it and we get it. Care for my sheep with the words of the gospel. Tell them about my resurrection and my ascension and my glorification. Go out into the world and preach the gospel and care for my sheep. Jesus says in this passage, give them something to eat. He's saying, feed my sheep. It's very similar to what Jesus will say to Peter in John chapter 21. But their response, it's so cold, where's the money? And their own insufficiency stops them in their tracks. 
And I believe that's what Jesus wants them to see, and Jesus wants us to see that as well. Jesus presses their insufficiency. Proclaimers of the gospel are always, always insufficient. And Peter, he learned this by John chapter 21. He learned how to feed the sheep of Jesus. But here, well, he and the disciples, where's the money, Jesus? You give me a debit card, I'll make it happen. It's so cold when Jesus is so compassionate. But what he needed to understand is that a disciple must be willing to proclaim Jesus from a position of insufficiency. To see their weakness and inability is actually a strength in the proclamation of the gospel. That's what Jesus shows them, highlights, emphasizes their insufficiency. And now watch. Watch the sufficiency of Jesus begin in verse 38. He understands the crowd correctly. They are sheep without a shepherd, and he shows the crowd compassion, and he's going to show them even more. How many loaves do you have, Jesus says. And then he commands them, go and see. Go and see how many loaves you have. And they come back with five loaves and two fish. In John's gospel, it's not, only, or it's not even the disciples themselves that produce the five loaves and the two fish. You remember that. In John's gospel, it's some boy in the crowd who has five loaves and two fish. These disciples, they have nothing, completely insufficient, completely incapable of helping this crowd. But that's no surprise because Jesus, he goes to work. And he commands in verse 29 with great authority. He commands the crowds to sit down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. Why do you think Jesus does that? Probably to enable the disciples to get a very good head count. That they might be able to count the crowds and see, oh my, there are a lot of people here. And in verse 41, he looks up to heaven and he says a blessing. In the Greek New Testament, to say a blessing is to speak well about something or about someone. It's to praise. It's where we get our word eulogy. In John's gospel, John tells us that Jesus, as he looks up to heaven, he gives thanks. He's actually engaging in a conversation of sorts. This looking up to heaven, what do you suppose that's about? Well, Jesus, he's going to do this again. He is going to thank God by looking up into heaven for the resurrection of Lazarus. Father, I thank you that you have heard me, John chapter 11. And when Jesus asks God to glorify him at the cross, he lifts up his eyes to heaven. And Jesus, he's doing something for the disciples to see and for you and I to see. He's showing the disciples what it looks like to thank God for his provision, even if the provision looks insufficient. And you need to know that Jesus is not doing this as an example of what we should do or what the disciples should do. Of course, we should thank God for uh, the provision that he has given to us. We should do that. But what Jesus is doing, it's not an example We must understand that from the passage. This is not an example. Just do what I do. Jesus is actually functioning in a solitary way as the only one who can save sinners. The disciples and the crowds are all being invited to watch perfect obedience at work. Perfect obedience worked on your behalf by the perfect shepherd. And as he looks up to heaven thanking God, He breaks the bread, 
and he gave it to the disciples to set before the people. Only because of the perfect work of Jesus can the insufficient disciples be sufficient. The bread and the fish is not the bread and fish that they bless. It's the bread and fish that Jesus blesses. They simply bring it. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Is the scene coming to life? This is what a messenger does. Now we're beginning to see a picture of what that, that ministry was like. They had nothing. Everything that they brought to a home was Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. And then they bring this bread and this fish as messengers, uh, bringing what Jesus has himself provided. And there are 12 baskets of bread and fish left over. But what Jesus is showing the disciples is that none of them spent money. None of them made bread. None of them caught fish. None of them thanked God. They did nothing. But they've witnessed the work of the one who is sufficient to save. You remember, don't you, uh, what was on our minds when this scene began. We wanted to hear a report of how the preaching ministry of the disciples went. I'm not sure how it went, but I know very much what that gospel ministry was like and must look like. For you as a Christian, when you see people, you need to see them as sheep without a shepherd. That's how the Bible understands those who are not saved. And these sheep without a shepherd, you need to understand that they are completely and totally aimless without Jesus. Don't be easily impressed by money, by status, by education. They're aimless without Jesus. They're dangerous to themselves. They're dangerous to one another. And you ought to, Christian, be compassionate and step out of the boat. You don't know how they're going to respond to you, but that's not your first concern. Compassion is. You yourself have nothing of yourself to offer. You don't have the 200 denarii. You don't have the means of making their circumstances better. You have to go to the sheep empty-handed. And in all of this, you're thankful. Not as thankful as you should be, but you're thankful. I have nothing but what I have I give to you. And that is Jesus who is the gospel. And that's who you have, Jesus He's the one who truly knows how to be compassionate. He's the one who truly knows how to work for salvation. He's the one who is the perfect son of God. He's the one who knows how to truly praise God. And he's the one who truly knows how to, to satisfy. And he can do it. He can do it. In fact, everything that you have is to give him. That's all that you have to give as you share the gospel with others. Because that gospel's a person. I have nothing, but I have everything. I have Jesus. He's my shepherd. And you need a shepherd. I offer him to you as your shepherd. I'm pretty sure that there's enough to go around I'm pretty sure that he won't run dry. I'm pretty sure that your aimlessness is so dangerous that you're beyond his help. I seem to recall 12 basketfuls of sufficiency. 
He satisfied me. He can satisfy you. That is all I have. And in that, Christian, you have everything. In your insufficiency, proclaim the sufficiency of Jesus. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, you have paid an extraordinary price for our salvation. Would you empty us of any worth that we think that we have apart from Jesus? Would you forgive us for clinging to that counterfeit worth? And would you encourage us to go into the world and to proclaim not ourselves or any sufficiency that we can offer, but Jesus Christ and the sufficiency to save for all eternity? In his name, amen.